Hello again, you wonderful Rise Up listeners. Today, once again, we have Lucy and Justin Holden joining us for Sexy Saturdays from the Czech Republic. Good good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, it is afternoon, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. Here. How are you both doing? Doing well. Tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really beautiful day, and we've actually had uh, quite a busy day. Lucy was gone in Prague all day, and I went for a run and then for a, lo- a walk in the forest, and uh, it's been a good day. <laughs> Excellent. Well, today we might hear a lot from Lucy because I want to talk to her. She has a master's in middle school education with a focus on English and civics. And her thesis was on porn and the effects of porn on middle age children and its prevention. So Lucy, tell me, let's start off. What made you so interested in that topic for your thesis? That's a really good question. One of the reasons why I chose it was because I struggled with the issue myself. And I know that if I had the correct information, if I knew from the get-go how things work, it might have been easier for me. And I might not have gone so far with things but I also because I am an educator and a teacher and I can see how kids these days don't get a lot of protection for moving in the online world and the online realms when you send your kid to a city or town or somewhere You tell them stranger danger rule. You tell them to have their phone. You tell them how to cross the street. But for a lot of parents, especially in my culture, it doesn't really occur to them that they have to give them similar education about how to uh, behave and how to be in the online world. At what age were you exposed to pornography? I think I first saw it around... 12, 13, the average for my generation and the younger generations is now 11 years old. And, and how, how were you exposed to it? Did someone say, hey, come, come look at this? Or did you have a natural curiosity and searched it out yourself? Or think, how, did you, how did you come about the exposure to it? I think what happened to me was that I was actually writing a thesis on or it wasn't a thesis, it was like research paper. Research paper, but it was like a big one at the end of a school year. And my topic was the like teen- being a teenager, growing as a teenager, all the things that go into it. And so I, I was looking for something and it jumped out at me. And it was the first time, and I kind of shut it down. And I came to it a lot, a long time later. I think I was like 16 or 17 when I started to actively pursue it. But I think there were a lot of reasons. One of them was curiosity, but also some unanswered questions within me. For example, am I gonna be good enough? Am I going to be good at it? Uh, Those are things that I think young women often ask themselves these days because subconsciously you get those messages from the movies, from the series, everywhere. You have to be pretty and you have to be good at it. And if you're not, you're not going to be happy. So it was performance driven that you wanted to watch and and understand (laughs) what might be required of you in a relationship but I also think part of it was just trying to fill something within me as a part of that and the thing was that uh, normal porn didn't do a thing for me because 
from a very young age, my I had my mother is just amazing, and she gave us a very good message of what sex is, and that it's God given, and that it's beautiful, and it's meant to be for two people who love each other, and that it's it's great, but it's for marriage. And so I had this pure picture in my head of what sex is supposed to be, and when I saw heterosexual porn. It was just so empty and I could see the lies. It just didn't really work well. <laughs> and so I had to turn to something else because that's how porn works. And I ended up going to homosexual porn, a lesbian porn. And I stopped myself and I really had to like reconsider, okay, I'm not doing this. When I started to question my orientation, which I know it was just from the porn. It was from the escalation that comes when you actually use porn really often. It stops to be enough and you have to have something more weirder, kinkier, whatever it is. It just has to be something more as with every addiction. And it's actually really fast. You can get to uh, certain parts of internet that you would never think you'd find yourself in, in matter of, days and it's it's awful and i have forgiven myself and i have received forgiveness from god and from my wonderful husband but i have to say i am so grateful that i'm free of it and that i was able to battle it off before our marriage started and i am really really glad that god gave me the strength to pull through and be free today well let's talk about your your thesis start off with what you found i first did a little bit of research on pornography and that was the theoretical part of my thesis and what you find looking into it is that you actually there are a lot of different approaches to it and with the studies you don't always get objective results. It almost seems like the researchers sometimes have a certain point they want to make and then make they, they twist everything to make that point. And so you get one extreme on other extreme. And one of the reasons can happen is that there is not really a consensus of pornography, of what pornography is. When you think about it, it may seem clear, but when you actually do a research or a paper about it, you have to specify it, and that's just not as easy. And one of uh, the big issues with it is also that the health, uh, World Health Organization haven't classified pornography as an addiction because of these things, because there is a little, a very... The, the research on it is not consensus. No, sorry. There's not a consensus. Yes, there is not consensus. And the terminology is not set. And so because it's so confusing, people just, the, the committee there just decided it's not an addiction. And so it's not treated that way. So that was the theoretical part of my work and then in the practical part I and I also sorry in the theoretical part I also uh, talked about what prevention is how can you educate the children well what the researchers say and then in my practical part I actually went to one of the middle schools here and I gave the kids a questionnaire and I then went through the questionnaire and, and came up with the whole sorry I just I did the research and from the research a lot of things showed up um, let, let me interject something here I just looked up the definition of addiction Addiction is an inability to stop using a substance 
or engaging in a behavior, even though it is causing psychological and physical harm. Now, the porn industry is a $12 billion annually industry. So why would a national organization not consider porn and addiction? That's just, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to me. Well, from the definition that you read, there's some people that don't consider it to be or physically harmful. Yeah. The harm part is what's the thing in questioning. And also the fact that people claim they can stop and research hasn't been done enough to actually confirm that there are people who cannot stop even if they try, which I know for a fact, it's a fact that you can be addicted to pornography, but it's just uh, controversial. And I guess a lot of people who decide these things may have their own personal battle with pornography, maybe, is just my guess. But all in all, it's just, yeah, it's troubling to me a little bit, but also surprising. It's just what it is. Well, I think it's subjective. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone who enjoys drugs may not consider it harmful to them if they enjoy it. And likewise, if someone enjoys their participation in watching porn, they wouldn't say that they are harmed by it. So I think it's very subjective and probably perhaps it's culturally admissible right now to be in porn where historically legislation has been against the use of, of drugs. So can, what did you find out about trauma and porn? I found that if kids are exposed within the age six to let's say 12, it's very traumatic for them because their brain is not set up to think about sex. So when they approach it or when they are hit by it, they may think it's funny, they may laugh about it, but it's actually a little bit traumatizing for them. I'm not even talking about the younger ones, that's, that's for sure. And then, of course, when the kid, uh, when the teenager already starts to think of maybe the other sex or maybe having dreams and stuff like that, it might be a little bit more natural to go and search for these things but i think it's still very very harmful just because pornography is not natural if when i was doing the thesis one of the things i found is that one of the biggest porn sites they uploaded so many videos in just 2019 in just that one year that if you wanted to watch all of the videos one by one, one after the other, you would have to start in year 1850. In other words, one person is not able to see everything there is on the internet. And that's just not normal. That's just too much for anyone who sees that. And so the addiction that comes with it is just because the brain is so stimulated. And as you said it, when you are addicted, you don't see it at first and even if you see it there are certain phases you know some you have denial and then maybe you accept it but you don't want to do anything about it and so there's actually a long way for a client or for someone to go from seeing they're addicted to doing something about it and when you talk about trauma for me the trauma or the harm the biggest harm that comes from seeing pornography and actually starting to watch pornography at such a young age is that your brain is developing at that time when you're 11 to 15, 15 to 20. Those are two really important phases and so many things are set up in your brain, in your behavior, in your emotions and in your sexual 
behavior, in, in how you perceive sex, in your sexuality, essentially. And so if you feed yourself with pornography at that age, it is going to affect you more later on. And it is, has been proven that people who have started earlier on have more problem actually uh, quitting because it's more ingrained. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that a teenager learns is how to deal with stress and pain and uncomfortable situations. And if they learn to go to pornography, it will be really difficult to quit that habit or change that habit later on. So they might use it perhaps to switch off the emotion that they're currently feeling and get the feel good endorphins and the high from from watching porn. Yeah, absolutely. Porn is great at melting down negative emotions. It's it does that really well, at least in that moment. And then after that, you actually feel worse than you felt before. And that's why a lot of people go to another video and another video, and they actually spend hours watching. And it's just a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. It's a trap. As any drug or anything, you can be addicted to it. You'll you'll always need more. There'll not be the mark when you say, "I have enough now." Well, see, I would classify an addiction as anything that you are doing to escape your current reality, and in my opinion, this is escaping your current reality, and it is placing you in a fantasy world. Yeah, definitely. And I think I would also add that addiction can also be a way to avoid dealing with your problems. And a lot of the times, because part of my ministry now is that I actually help women who are battling with this to, to go through it. And I am their e-coach. We email each other and I help them to get by and, and get through it and, and quit. And one of the things we find is that sometimes it's not really about watching porn or very often it's not just about the porn. It's about hiding away an issue or it's usually somehow connected to other things in that person's life. And once you, once people find those roots and are able to fix things in their life around that, it might be that porn goes away. How, how do you, how do you connect with these women? We have a website called Nepornu.cz, which is not to porn. No to porn. No to porn. Sorry. I always say it wrong. <laughs> no to porn. And we have e-coaches that are trained in via online courses. And then we have regular meetings where we talk to each other and, and are educated more. And as any coach, you then uh, get, we have a coordinator and when there is an email, she reads it and she sends it to one of the e-coaches. And then we tell, or we reply to that person and we invite them on a journey to stop addiction or very often, especially with women, is that the partner is addicted and we are helping that woman to just gain the trust again and repair the relationship. And yeah. Just well, let's talk a little bit about the latter situation that you mentioned that women have reached out to you because their their partners are addicted to porn and perhaps finding it as a substitute for them. Mm -hmm. What are the emotions of these women that are reaching out to you? I would compare it to a woman who's been cheated on. And I know it's, people say it's not quite the same, but emotionally it feels the same. And it makes sense because if you watch porn, it's, it has been proven that what you imagine doing and what you're actually doing creates the same reaction in your brain. So even if you're not having a sex, if you're, even if you're not having sex with a person, if you're imagining it, 
the, the same reactions, the same hormones, the same things are happening in your mind. And so it makes sense that it feels like cheating to a woman. And the, the biggest thing is that their trust is broken and they find it usually really hard to trust their man again. They find themselves even paranoid going through their phones and worrying about what they are doing when they're home alone or when they go out with other friends. And it takes toll on a relationship. And I'm really grateful that I was able to quit myself before we were in marriage. And I know even then I still have to battle in my mind for purity. It's never ending battle. The thoughts or memories are always be knocking on the door and, and trying to come back and you just have to smash them back and, and say, no, I'm not doing this. And I cannot imagine if I did not quit before marriage. I, How did you quit? It was a lot of prayer and it was, I just knew I didn't want it in my marriage. And a lot of lies had to be broken. I had to let God heal things and parts of my heart that I was trying to, you know, cover up and hide away. And I also think it was understanding what you're battling with and how it works and getting help and, and ed educating myself on the matter. I think that really, really helps, especially with behavioral addictions, which pornography is. How do you think people justify staying involved in it? You know, people, we, we when you share it with other e-coaches, there are a lot of the same replies of, oh, I think I can handle it once a week. I think I can handle it just, you know, as a recreation thing. But it never ends up like that, especially if you were once able to, I don't know, be watching for several hours or having to have it every other day or every day. If you had that frequency and you come back to a smaller or less frequent mode, you will get back to the one that you were before at some point. It's just either nothing or you're doing it. There's nothing in between. And people, At least not for a prolonged period of time. No, no, definitely. It's like with any drug, really. Mm -hmm. you, you know, when you're an alcoholic, you cannot go to pubs. You cannot sniff alcohol. You cannot drink. You know, some people say, oh, moderation works. But I don't really think in the long term... I don't know. I don't want to talk about alcoholism, but like with pornography, it's definitely much better to just quit and clear your brain because what happens is that pornography reprograms your brain. And that really helped me to understand that I'm actually programming my brain to do certain things and to be aroused by certain things and to like certain things. And I just knew that if I stopped it, then my brain would have to reprogram itself. And that helped a lot. Do you have any information on those who use it as a tool to enhance their sex life in marriage? You know, I've heard claims that it actually works. What I think actually happens is that if the guy watches porn regularly, he might start having problems with erection well it's yeah it's proven to cause erectile mm -hmm. dysfunction in men and it can be like you know that dysfunction has a range of completely nothing to just problems and so with that i think what happens is that the guy is no longer able to be with a woman without imagining pornography and then maybe even that is not enough so she so he invites her to watch with him and then you know because she really wants him to be with her she may say yes but I have 
in all the clients and, and women we had as clients, I've never met a woman who would be healthy, have a self-worth, self-value and say, I'm okay with it and I actually like it. And there may be exception. I don't want to say it doesn't work, but I really cannot imagine because it really feels like the other person is cheating on you. Let's go back. You mentioned that as you were developing your thesis, you did a poll. Tell us about that poll. It was middle school. Yeah, basically middle school. Middle school. Uh huh. And I made I let made them. There was a questionnaire. It was online, and they just clicked and and wrote through it. And the numbers from those polls were. Some of them were surprising for me. One of them was that children actually preferred to have information about sex and sexuality and all these things from their parents, Mm -hmm. especially the younger ones, sixth and seventh graders. And it was a lot more than, than peers or friends. And then with older they got, it actually switched to peers instead of parents. But parents were still really high number, which was surprising to me. And then not so surprising, but alarming was that with ninth graders, all of them were exposed. All of them admitted that they actually watch porn regularly at some rate. And a lot of them were more than once a week. It was, I think, 40% of that particular group. And of course, I would have to repeat the same questionnaire in a bigger number because this was a cost cost study. Yeah, case study. Case study. Sorry, case study. I couldn't remember. It was a case study of one school. So I even had interviews with the teachers and I compared what the students said with what the teachers said and what was in the documents and and the curriculum of the school. Uh, And so it was a little bit different approach. Maybe if I did it in like a larger scale, the numbers would have turned out a little bit different, but I think it would still be really high. And I think it would surprise a lot of people because people don't think that, especially their children, they don't do it. They don't watch porn, but it's so many kids. And I think it will be even higher now after COVID and, kids spending a lot of time online. So how should parents discuss sex and porn with their children? At what age and what would you suggest? How the, how should they approach it and, and what should they talk about? I think in general with porn and, and sex and sexual education, as parents or as, as uh, adults, we have this picture that we have to tell them everything And when we imagine sex, you know, there is rape, there is getting pregnant, miscarriage, like all these things that we have. There are good (laughs) things, but as I think as a parent, I cannot really imagine, but I think as a parent, as a mother, when a child comes to you, the first thing that come are the alarming, oh my gosh, these are all the things you have to avoid and I have to protect you from this, 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 that. But what we have to say or I believe the, the role of a parent is just to focus on what's what the child needs at that time and, and what's the message I want to give them. And with online or, or with pornography and the online world, I'd say that you have to educate your children about the good pictures and the bad pictures and the good things and the bad things once you hand them, hand them that iPad or once you hand them the the remote control. Like the minute they have electronic device that has internet made, they have to know. And it doesn't matter how many blocks and family protection, which you should have, definitely. That's, I think today it's, it's a must have because it's so aggressive and just the, it, it will jump up on the kids from everywhere, but even though you have that technical protection, I think it's really, really important that you talk with your kids. What is a good picture? What is a bad picture? What is something we want to see? What's something we don't want to see? 
And for inspiration, I'd really recommend a book that's called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And there is actually a version for very small kids and then older kids. And it's uh, very well written. There are a lot of pictures and it's a good, even like a bedtime story thing. And I would definitely recommend for parents to get something like that to help them if they feel that they're at loss with talking about these things. But I would definitely say protect and give your kid a get-go because once they are at school, once they're in collective of other friends, it will happen that one of the kids, and it can be a very young kid, will see something and will show it to the other kids or will talk about it. And it has happened to my colleagues. It has happened to my classmates who are teaching today in with third graders. It happened in my class. <laughs> it happened to Justin with third graders, I mm -hmm. think. Third graders. You know, those are seven, eight-year-old kids. And it was hard porn we're talking here. It wasn't just like something soft. They just saw something and then, you know. So it's it's really important. You will you would never send your kid alone to school without educating them about stranger danger crossing the street etc so we have to do the same for the online world because it's even trickier even even trickier even more dangerous and i know for some parents there can be this fear of if i tell them they will actually want to see it but the sad truth is that they will want to see it either way once they are either educated by their peers or just curious themselves. And especially if you don't talk about it, they can feel that there is a secret, something hidden, you know, something forbidden. It will draw them closer. And as a parent, you have the option to give them the message to yourself and be the first one to set the tone and to say, this is right, this is wrong at the age when they actually still listen to you and still think you're the god in their universe and then or you can let it let the internet or their peace educate them and i can tell you from experience it's not a good thing so sit down with them educate them and eliminate the curiosity mm -hmm. so how do we how do we erase the stigma associated with with so let's not call it an addiction even though it might be an addiction but how do we erase the stigma so that people one will not hide that they have this addiction and get help and how do we bring it to the forefront in education i think it's happening slowly but surely the problem is that education is all, always one step behind. It just is like that. It, it's really difficult to change the system and the curriculum as quickly as the world is changing. That's just not doable. And I think the great thing is that even researchers who do not have uh, Christian moral values, maybe they're not Christians themselves, see pornography as a problem nowadays. There are more and more researchers who say this is a problem because these young people actually don't want to have sex with each other anymore because porn is easier. And if we continue like that, we will have a society that doesn't produce children and they know that's not good. You know, so it's they're starting to see it as a problem. And of course, we haven't even mentioned sex trafficking and pornography business is the biggest feeder of this. And it has never been worse than today it, it's really growing and it's becoming worse and worse and with it's just that with pornography not being addiction yet it's sometimes difficult but i'm really hopeful that it's going to get acknowledged soon mm -hmm. and it was one of the reasons i wrote the thesis really because i want to draw attention to it and and so how is porn a gateway to sex trafficking? It needs people. Yeah. There's a, a lot of the pornography, a lot of the pornography businesses is based off of getting girls 
or, or even in some cases, young men from different parts of the world and bringing them to countries where it's more illegal to film these different things or, or you give them the promise of, of giving them a new life, of getting them out of the situation that they might be in, say from a poor country in Asia or even Russia or something like that. You bring them more West. Honestly, Central Europe is a big hub for sex trafficking and for, and for pornography filming as well. I think the Czech Republic is one of the highest in foreign films. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is. And you give them the promises that they are going to come here for a better life. They just have to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of times they get entrapped. These these young women will get entrapped in that sort of situation. So I've also heard stories of young women going to a photo shoot signing when they gave them a contract at the beginning to sign and they didn't read it and was in the contract was a contract on pornography film and then they pressure the girl in doing it and they pay her and it's you know it's big money and she wants she has done once it wasn't that bad she got a lot of money and so she does it again and then suddenly she's in the system and suddenly she signs another contract and is owned by that person and it becomes her job and I know that there are porn, porn stars or like the superstar whatever they are called who claim it's like the best life and they are rich and famous and they love it but I don't believe that one second it has to be so breaking for a person to have to go through that experience mm-hmm. and you know even there are so many awful truths about it all of the actors who get to the prime pornography have to go through plastic surgeries, very often painful ones. The guys have to get injected throughout the shooting very often. The ladies, they just, some companies have limits. It's just awful. And then they have to start with homosexual pornography before they can move on to heterosexual. So it's just, I cannot imagine how that's not damaging to the soul mm. of a person. And of course, the taking someone's documents and trapping them in that is just... Well, oh. another way that the entrapment works too is that $50 in the United States might not be very much anymore, but to some people who come from, say, Eastern Russia or, or from Mongolia or from the Philippines, which is a lot of places where these girls are trapped and then brought over. That's a lot of money. And, and, you know, they, all it takes is like to wave this money in front of their faces sometimes. And and sometimes that's, that's enough to help them overcome what they might in a normal circumstance resist. And so it's, and, and there's also drugs that are involved. There's a, some drugs over in this part of the world that are more legal uh, than in the United States. And those are used often as as well to encourage the porn stars to do what what the director would like them to do. Mm-hmm. Justin, give us a male opinion on pornography. Male opinion on pornography. Um, I guess my opinion is different because I've been in the church for a long time and I see like the effects that it has on people and, uh, and how it can affect your relationship with others. I can understand how it's difficult to, to fight through. I would call it an, an addiction as well. Uh, a lot of times it, for some guys, it can, it can keep you from, I know guys who have been absolutely paralyzed by pornography, like absolutely paralyzed and not, not only relationally, but, but even in their, even in their job where it's prevented them from, from working a good job, from being successful or, or fruitful in their job. But also it, it can, for a guy like, yeah, it can definitely relationally paralyze you as well, because guys are wired a little bit more different. And that's been proven as well, that the guys are a little bit more visual and girls are a little bit more cerebral. I mean, both it involve all part. Both sexes involve all parts, but uh, but still, the the way that things look is a little bit more immediately pleasing to a guy, and it can, yeah, it can definitely draw you in 
at least for, for a guy, it can draw you in a little bit easier and kind of hold you there a little bit longer, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, but, but now like after everything that I've been through, like for me, pornography is such a, it's so shameful i think of, of how women get treated in and how and how many things like women already have to put up with a lot of different things that are so tough and, and so difficult and and this it just seems to me like something that is so demeaning more towards women than towards men honestly because men are kind of seen as like essentially the conqueror in a, in a porn film whereas the woman is just the thing to be conquered and so it's a it's a sad thing and man, I, I think it's awesome that Lucy has been able to, to work with these girls who are addicted to that because it's not, uh, just, it's not just a thing that affects on, uh, only men. I, what are the statistics on that? The Actually, with the younger generations, it used to be that it's a guy thing, right? The guys have a problem with this, but a big boom of women actually watching pornography was after the 50 shades of gray it's actually proven we can see the rise in statistics because the porn sites have actually a really good statistic of who comes yeah. who, who watches what kind of pornography and so and they put out this sort of report every year too yeah and and that year where 50 shadows of gray were published as a movie first i think it was 205 i'm not, I'm not sure now but i think it was that around that year it the amount of women that started to visit pages or visit websites, I think tripled. And so, and it has been rising ever since. And the younger you go, younger generation you go, actually the, the difference between guys and girls is almost, it, it's, it's just smaller and smaller. So with the youngest generation now, the numbers are that the guys and the girls are almost equal in how mm. they, how often and how much they yeah. look. So, yeah. so okay. Like so on that movie, I'm trying to think what I know about it. He preferred to dominate a female in in a sexual capacity. It it was domination, and so the whim, woman was almost like a slave or servant to his needs. Let's talk a little bit about that. Is that um, normal? That's not normal. No, unfortunately, though, it it's, yeah, in this side of the country, uh, or in this side of the part of the world, it's a little bit different, honestly, than, than I, I have colleagues or old colleagues who you know, would, would say things about, about their relationship with their, their husbands. And every time that we would have a conversation like that, it's like, man, look, he's, Lucy's lucky to have me. <laughs> well, and you could also, <clears throat> we talked about the pure purity culture in a prior episode, but I think a lot of a lot of those who are not Christians do not understand the role that the Bible lays out for a man as a husband and a woman, mm -hmm. and they get caught up in the submissive role that a woman is supposed to play. So she's supposed to be submissive completely to her husband, and they, they take probably the Bible out of context and without a lot of uh, knowledge on the subject. But if you have a culture who is opposed to that teaching and does not think that a woman should be submissive, why would you think that a woman should be a servant to a man? It's actually one of the main scenarios of pornography, and that's woman is conquered. And even if she didn't want to be at first, she likes it in the end. And so even for guys, it shows them that it's okay to be aggressive and sometimes mm -hmm. even brutal to a woman because she'll actually appreciate it. 
And for our ladies, it tells them it's okay when someone behaves to you like that. And so it creates a dynamic. And even I heard TED Talks on people and, and sex coaches who said that in their own personal life, they realized that the younger generation guys, it was a woman and she talked about how, you know, she, she liked to sleep around. And she said that with the younger guys, she actually had to teach them, no, this is not how you behave a woman. Women don't like this. This is, and she could tell it was from pornography and from the scenarios that they've been consuming and, and learning as, as the norm. So it's just so, a weird. So clarify what you believe should be the norm. Communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and love and respect for one another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another book that we really recommend. So there's mm-hmm. Good Pictures, Bad Pictures and Good P- Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior. I just I looked it up earlier. Thank you. <laughs> and, and also uh, the book Love and Respect. And so just because we recommend a book doesn't mean that we agree 100% with everything. Yeah. But like we said in, in past episodes, that these books really help to give a good vocabulary for your relationship. Mm-hmm. And something that we have kind of learned is that, and the, this book is based on the principles from Ephesians. I want to say 6-4, but I'm not for sure that it's correct. Where it says, husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives respect your husbands. It's actually chapter five. Okay, I'm wrong, but I can admit that. But the basically the premise of the book is that husbands should show unconditional love to their wives, mm-hmm. and wives should show unconditional respect to their husbands. And that sounds very counterintuitive in today's culture, and to me as well. It, I had a little bit of a of a, a red flag when I heard that, but but then the author goes on to explain uh, what that means, and that was really helpful for us. And it's something that we already do in a sense, but it was something that we needed to get better at. And so, being able to for for Lucy to show me respect in different ways, where she didn't even realize that it was. That oh, there was something yeah, that I was disrespectful. Being disrespectful. Yeah. And and for me, I knew that there were a lot of things that I needed to grow in and showing Lucy love, but it was hard for me because I didn't understand necessarily how she needed mm-hmm. to receive that or or different things that are important. Like peacemaking is a big thing that is very important to Lucy. And that book has a whole chapter on talk, on peacemaking. Mm-hmm. And so so yeah, there were there were just different things like that. And so we we're able to learn about that and honestly just communicating, communicating what your preferences are sexually as well as emotionally and and within the relationship. It's really good to be able to know what the other person, you can't just read a person's mind. And so being able to communicate and and to really draw these things out of them so that you have information to work with is incredibly important and that's probably the it's not necessarily in a nutshell but that's the that's what we believe is is the most important in a relationship is just being able to have clear expectations clear communication and as we said it before relationship and even the intimacy in it is not about you it's about the other person and for a Christian, it's about glorifying God in that relationship and in how you treat the other person. And even with sex, I think the idea is not how should the other person make me happy, but I can, but how can I make them happy? Mm. And for me, it was a really difficult to shift that in my head because pornography teaches you you have to please yourself. You have to make that's yourself true. happy. And so like, that's a that's a big contrast. And then another thing is I think that you have to be okay and willing to sacrifice your, I, 
your dreams maybe or fantasies or stuff that you want to do like you have to be okay with your partner not wanting to do that and if you're in marriage for a long time the time might come when you maybe try it one day whatever but you have to be okay with making sure that the other person is okay with what you want to do and there is a big range and there is place to explore but even so you should really make sure that the other person is okay and i can say that for a woman you need intimacy you need to be emotionally connected to the person you need to know that you're the only one and you need to um, feel safe and if you don't have these things i don't believe that for a healthy woman who has her self-respect and self-love who hasn't been broken so much that she no longer knows who she is I don't think it's possible to enjoy sex without these things. How would people get a hold of you, Lucy? What is that website again? It's called Nepornu CZ. And there is no guarantee people would be directed to me because okay. there are a lot of coach women and, and men. And it's based, uh, it's on an anonymous basis. Yes. What people might be able to find in general is either an e-coach or if it's something that goes deeper and it's connected to more problems, I would recommend therapy 100%. And then you might also be able to find an anonymous partnerholic group. And that might also be helpful because you work in group with people who are going through the same thing. And there's a lot of different options anymore because it is being seen as more of an issue nowadays, even Mm -hmm. though it might not be considered an addiction. Yeah. And there is growing community (laughs) in the U.S. of young men who just try to stop masturbating masturbating and watching pornography. Mm -hmm. And they put out videos, maybe YouTube videos of how it's been for them, the progress, how they're feeling, what's happening and, and there's almost like a movement of that as well. Mm-hmm. So there can be also an inspiration. I didn't know you knew that word. <laughs> well, thank you both again for this is the recording of our third Sexy Saturday. And we have two more to go. But this has been a very interesting subject that I think affects so many young people. And it's it's relevant to today's culture and today's society. So thank you. And we will see you next Saturday. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner. Thank you for listening today. Rise up and let's be the best that we can be. And listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate. Thank you. Thank you.